All right, bro, let's turn to 1 Samuel 17. First Samuel 17. That's a, a good song, and it goes right with the point I want to make. I hope that I can hope I can make a point. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd like to find some sinners. Wouldn't that be good? I'd like to go out in, in the public, walk up down the street, and bump into somebody that was a sinner. Not somebody that had sinned, not somebody that does some sins, but they're the noun. That's what they are. That's their instinct. And if I did, I have good news to tell them. And then after I tell them the good news, they're going to get really upset because they won't see much of a change. They're, they're not going to have some magnificent new understanding and enlightenment on all things, and they won't be walking as they wish they would walk, and they're going to see their sin. And actually, as they grow older in this walk of faith, in this life that we live, in this new creation, that sin's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. We're not getting better and better and better and better. The more I understand, the more I understand I don't understand nothing. <laughs> and, and the more wicked I am and my thoughts and my intents and the, the, the little bit I see of this heart that so easily deceives me, it's just it's terrible. Would you be made whole? Would you have eternal life? will come at a cost. <laughs> You're gonna everything, all that comfy life you had in that church you was playing is gonna get shook up. That's what the Lord asked, didn't it? Would you be made whole? Well, if I had found a sinner that that was, they were the noun. Not, not well. And I'm just so bad that I'll wait till I clean up some before I go. No, you still self righteous. We'll see it in a minute. But if I found somebody that was just desperate and in need, a dead dog sinner, and and the Lord worked in them. And I gave him good news, and the Lord made it effectual, and he did all that. He planted, and he watered, and he gave the increase. And then they were going through those trials of like, man, this, I think it's getting worse. I said, it seems that way, don't it? And then I can give them comfort. Comfort them. Comfort them. You know how much great comfort I see in David and Goliath? Goliath, I hope we can see, this is a diamond, okay? There's a lot of facets to it. There's a whole lot of points. Maybe like the ark, we spent... Six messages, I think, on Noah's Ark in a row. Cameron <laughs> said, you about done? <laughs> uh, but if we go through First Samuel, we may spend a lot of time on David and Goliath, multiple times. There's a whole lot there. But I want you to see Goliath as our sin. Does your sin bother you? If you're a sinner, I'm talking to God's people. If you're sinners, does your sin bother you? I don't like mine. And, I, and, it, and it speaks about how in the world could the accuser of the brethren who's already been defeated, best to play out, says to me, how in the world could you be a child of God? That's what my old flesh says to my new man. You? There's no way. I hope this is personal, not facts and a, and a, a, a creed or a, a statement of faith or something like that. I hope God speak to us one-on-one. -on -one. Get us by ourselves and talk to us. Do something in us. We're going to bounce through these things. I thought that old writer, too, he said, a sinner's a precious thing. The Holy Ghost has made them so. <laughs> God's got to make those. I want to bounce around a little bit in 1 Samuel 17 a little bit, but I think it's going to be a blessing to you. I really think the Lord will bless you. He did it to me. This is the story of David and Goliath. This is widely known. Uh, even in this reprobate country that God's turned over to wickedness, 
most people, I would imagine, if you walk down the streets and you had, had you ever heard David and Goliath, they would tell you something about a little fella and a sling and a giant, wouldn't they? And then he won. There's a, a little boy, a teenage boy or something, and he had a sling, and there's a giant, and he, he, he beat up the giant. He won. He killed him. And this, especially right after the New Year's, is often preached from heretical pulpits. I don't know. If I had a stronger word out of God's word to say, I'd say it. They're heretics, and they're deceiving men and women, souls. They treat this as a story as a little man that can overcome. Doesn't it? You ever heard that? You ever read them little children's books? It's so nice, and they're in crayon. And look at this, and you're teaching your children to be heretics from birth. It's not the little man overcoming, or they'll say, Well, you meditate on your faith, and you push through the difficulty and be victorious. Or the or the power of positive thinking, right? Just lean on your faith. Let me tell you something. I, I want to say it as plain as I can. That's a false hope. If you're relying on your experiences and, them, and the, the, the words of dead men of the past or whatever, there's the heretics that lied on God or your grandparents or anything else, and, and you lean on your faith or something like that, it's a false hope. Paul said, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, this is written before Paul was, were written for our learning, to learn something, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures, it's going to take a long time, how we get to impatience through trials, and we're going to have to get comfort from these scriptures that we might have hope. Hope. What's that hope? There's billboards down the road there, right? Get hope this year. <laughs> Is that one of your goals? Yeah, well, if they knew what it meant, I pray so. What's hope? Who's our hope? Who's our hope? Our greater David's our hope. In Colossians 1, 27, says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of the mysteries among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope's a person. Our expected outcome. Our expected end. That's what the word means. Not wishy-washy. Like, that'd be nice if that happened. We got 85% chance. Our expected outcome is him. He's our hope. He's our hope. The story of David and Goliath, it's a picture of Christ. If you miss that, you missed it all. You, you're beating the air. It ain't worth nothing. And, you, and you, you're giving people false hope, and you're, you're, you're not building the kingdom of God. You're destroying the kingdom of God. That's called an enemy. This story of David and Goliath, it's a picture of Christ, the captain of our salvation. I want to show you just a few things. Here in 1 Samuel 17, look here in verse 17. David was sent of his father. 1 Samuel 17, 17. And Jesse said unto David his son, Now, take now for thy brethren an ephah of parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they... And all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah <clears throat> fighting the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench, way down the trenches, 
as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. He came in. The, the, the father sent Christ, his son, to this earth, didn't he? And did he, did he sleep in? You know, we're in the Bible. It talks about it being good to sleep in. It's good to rise up early. <laughs> Get up early and it won't be good for you. He got up early, right when it was time, right in the beginning, didn't he? He stood up, made that covenant of grace throughout time. But he came onto this earth, came right down here in the trenches to be about his father's business. David here's picturing Christ. And, and, and David wasn't received by his brethren. Can you believe that? He brought all these good tidings and gifts. I brought something good for you and you didn't like it. No, surely that wouldn't happen. It happened to David. Look here in verse 28. 1 Samuel 17, 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Ain't you got something else to be doing? What are you doing down here? You got a job to do. I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou might see the battle. He said, David, you come down here. You just want to watch a bunch of people get killed. Remember what we looked at Wednesday? You can get people to watch somebody kill somebody with you, but they won't stick around with the dead body. <laughs> he said, you're coming down just to watch somebody die. Teenagers want to see war go on. Probably played war your whole life. He said, I know your pride. I know your naughtiness of your heart. What happened to our Lord? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. David was there, and I get it. Lord's teaching me. He came with good things, not asking nothing of his brethren. Here, have this. And they, boy, they started giving it to him, didn't they? The Lord came here, never offended nobody. He came unto his own, and his own received not. He came to that nation of Israel. They had want nothing to do with him. He came to this own creation, as Luther said. Made a real good point on that. That's, he wasn't speaking when he came to his own, his own people, his those that he, he laid his life down for. He owns everything. It's his. He came here and it rejected him. Didn't want nothing to do with him. He said, just like uh, Eliab told him, he said, it's pride and all this the heart, David. Oh, do you know the hearts of, of men, Eliab? Mankind thinks we do, don't we? We do. I think I know motives. I don't. But that's what that Lord gave that illustration, that parable, uh, and, and that one fellow looked at him and said, we won't have this man reign over us. Remember that? He said, you're an austere man. He said, you reap where you don't sow. You ain't fighting this battle, David. You just come down here to watch. You're reaping where you don't sow. He was sent of his father. He was not received by his brethren. And then David was sent. He was despised. He was maligned by his brethren. And he effectually won the battle. What's that mean? Got the job done. He defeated the enemy that no one else could or would because they didn't even know what it consisted of. They'd never seen nothing like that. I want to set the stage of where this took place, David and Goliath. There was two big old mountains on either side of a valley. The valley was in the middle, and there's big old mountains on either side. And Israel was at war with the Philistines. And over on one mountaintop, it was all Israel, the nation of Israel, <coughs> physical nation. And on the other hilltop was the Philistines. And every day down in this valley, here come this giant. And he would make his challenge. He would cod his demands and, and, and tell what ought to happen. And this giant, we can read through. This is a long chapter. I should have 
ask you if you wanted to to read it beforehand, but I forgot to. It's a long chapter, but you can read he was six cubits tall and a span. Six cubits and a span tall. Do you know how tall that is? That's real tall. <laughs> I wasted so much time reading old dead fellas on how tall that was. It's anywhere between nine and a half feet to 12 feet. And I thought, can you tell the difference between somebody that's 10 feet tall and 11 feet tall? It don't matter. <laughs> it's big, okay? You're a big fella. When I, when I get it, we'll see the fear in a second. I don't encounter, I don't pay attention to how tall people are unless they're taller than me. It ain't often I bump into somebody I see eye to eye with. And I'll say, this is odd. And if somebody, I turned around one time at a grocery store, I ducked underneath the thing they had in the store, and that guy said, they don't think about us tall folks, do they? And I said, no, they don't. I turned, and I was about right here on him. <laughs> oh, buddy. I mean, I got goosebumps. I didn't know what to do. I've experienced that. God's telling us, this enemy, bigger than you. A lot bigger than you. Not bigger than you. And more than that, Verse 5 there says in 1 Samuel 17, 5, he had a helmet of brass upon his head. That was the finest protection at the time. And he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. We called that battle rattle when I was going in. That's your kit. That's your, your, your armor plating, your armor vest, the stuff you carry on it, and your helmet. And it weighed about 200 pounds. And it was, he had brass shin guards on him. This, this man was a giant. He was huge, way bigger than you. And, and what he wore for protection weighed more than you do. It was good stuff, good stuff. Verse 7, and the staff, here's his off, that's, that's the defensive weapons, here's the offensive weapons. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. That's the thing that supports a, 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 a weaver's shuttle. And his spear, spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. This spear was about 26 foot long. Just 26 foot. And, and the head of it weighed about 20 pounds. We were splitting wood the other, yesterday, and I picked up a nine-pound hammer. We call it sledgehammers in other parts of the world. <laughs> but, uh, I picked that up, and you try to see how close. I'll see how, if I'm still strong. i see how close to the end of that handle I could hold that sledgehammer out. And I can't hold it as far to the end as I used to. And I thought, that's just nine hits only this long. Here's a 26-foot-long spear. It's like a, a piece of wrought iron fence or something. And then the head of it weighs 20 pounds. That's the piercing end. I don't know if I could pick that up. He carried it as a javelin. It was a spear. He could throw it where he wanted to. What does that teach us? What, what does it see in his armor, which we, we've been given armor, but seeing his armor, what's that teach us? This is a mighty warrior, and this is your enemy. And this man came yelling and carrying all these things without a struggle. He didn't break a sweat. What's that? What's that teaching us? You ain't no match for him. You can't win. This is an enemy that, that, that you have no hope of overcoming. I mean, none. None. He comes and he says something. We see these things. But then he, he says something to him. I'm going to paraphrase what Goliath said. He start, he'd go down that valley, and he would yell up that hill, and you would probably hear him, to that army of Israel. And he said, "You, instead of using your whole army, ain't I Philistine enough for you? Instead of you using your whole army, why don't you just send one man out to fight me? He said, you trust your king. Remember Saul, that one? Israel said, we want a king like everybody else wants a king. And Samuel went down and said, no, you don't. 
<laughs> and they said, yeah, we do. The whole time, Sam never mentioned it. They needed a ruler, didn't they? They needed somebody to tell them what to do and when to do it. They had Samuel, and he spoke of God. He just told you what God said. You had one. You didn't want it. So they wanted Saul, and they got it. And he said, you trust Saul. You like him. You voted him in. That's, that's, you wanted a king. You trust him. You trust his judgment, don't you? If he says do something, you'll do it. Let him pick the best fighter, and I'll fight that man. And then if that chosen man wins, if Saul's chosen man, the one he picks out, that this king picks out, if he wins, all the Philistines are going to be your slaves. We'll, we'll lay down our, our guns, and we'll come. We'll just do whatever you tell us to do. But if I win, all of Israel is going to be my slaves. It's going to be the Philistine slaves. It says in verse 11, When Saul and all of Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. You know what that means? They're scared to death. You know what it means if I'd have heard something like that? I'd be scared to death. These consequences are great. I mean, even if, even if I was one of them that lived, I ain't no match for the opponent, and I ain't no match for the outcome. It's just it's 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 too much. I can't swing that. I'd be afraid too, wouldn't it? And you know what fear and anxiety and unbelief all is? Sin. Sin. The Holy Ghost comes when the Lord works in somebody. Not everybody. That's what I was talking about a noun. I want to find a sinner. Not a, not a verber, a nouner. So that's really what they are. And the Holy Ghost comes to them and he convicts them of sin because, what's that sin? Well, I was drinking and chewing and not, no, not even, not even playing church, which is the outcome of it, because they believed not on me. Why would I be fearful? God's on his throne. What's wrong? We're going to see David, which David is a picture of Christ, and this is magnificent. And then, but as a picture of us believers, there's days I have no fear in me, and I, I don't care what somebody thinks. I don't care what somebody says, and I don't care what happens. Lord's on his throne. He's doing it. Here's what he says, and I'll lead me, follow me, or get out of my way. <laughs> and then later on in life, what's David do? Let spittle run down his beard and act like he's a madman? That's a man after God's own heart. That's us, isn't it? He saved us, but we're in this old man of flesh. John wrote that, recorded what the Lord said of sin, because you believe not on me there in John 16. And then later on in life, John recorded this in 1 John 2. He said, my little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. And I thought, you know, you could say that you fear not. That you have no anxiety. And if any man sin, and when you are afraid, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. He's on his throne. These things that's happening in your life ain't by accident, and it ain't the devil getting an upper hand over, over you or God or anybody else. It's the Lord allowing it to happen for his glory. Now, if we could understand those things and see this world through those eyes, we'd have a lot better time, and we'd be a lot happier walking around in this earth, wouldn't we? You might limp while you walk around. <laughs> might be in a wheelchair, but... We'd be happier when we did it. I pray God do that for me. I pray, I pray often he does that for you too. Sin's this giant that so easily besets us, isn't it? He says in verse 24, and all the men of Israel, what's it say? All the men of Israel. 
And it's just that nation. That's what took place physically in that nation. But that physical nation typifies that spiritual nation. They're not all Israel that's born of Israel. Spiritually speaking, this is all of us, okay? All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. Are you afraid what you'd do if God take his hand off of you? Or you got a good handle on it? I'm so afraid. God, keep me. Keep me. This is precious. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that's come up? Why don't you put your sin away? Have you seen sin? Why don't you keep the law? Have you heard the law? You that want to keep it? Have you seen him? Surely he came to defy Israel as he come up. That's why he come. He come kill us. That's bad. And then here's the reward, or this is an inheritance, if you will. Look at the second part of verse 25. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches. And this is precious. I got this underlined and highlighted. And will give him his daughter, the victor, the one that puts away this mighty enemy that nobody can do. He's going to get the king's daughters. You remember us looking at that? That's in Psalm 45, wasn't it? The king's daughters. Who's that? I always remember this because that's the hospital in Ashland. King's daughters hospital. <laughs> and that's us. That's We're the king's daughters. What, what's, what's this inheritance going to come? What's this great reward going to come if somebody defeats this great enemy? You're going to get the people for your inheritance. You're going to get the king's daughters. And make his father's house free in Israel. Verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? This ain't just you not being enslaved. This is reproachable. This is a reproach. It's shameful. It's even happening. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine <laughs> that he should defy the armies of the living God? You afraid of this uncircumcised Philistine? Don't you know we're God's people? What's David asking? Why are you afraid? God's on his throne. We're his people. Fear not. What's Christ come to us do? When we see overwhelmed with our sin and we see we can't do nothing about it, he comes to his people in great fear and says, fear not. Fear not. Look down at verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Don't let your heart be troubled. What he said, what, what, it wasn't, Christ didn't say this to a bunch of beggars and blind folks. He said this to the apostles. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. David's about to go prepare a place for Israel, isn't he? With Goliath. He said, let not your heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. Well, Saul didn't believe it. <laughs> he said, this enemy's too mighty. Look at verse 33. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. He's been doing this his whole life, and you ain't even a man yet. Many people think they're too big of a sinner to be saved. What a horrible thought. What a high thought of self and a low thought of the Savior. When people say, I'm, I'm too sinful for Christ to deal with me. That is not humility. That is blasphemy. Because you don't know him. And you don't truly know the, what sin you are. And you think you can do something about it. That's for the unbeliever. <clears throat> Oftentimes, even believers 
even those that are, that are purchased possessions of the king. We think too highly of the opposition we face and too little of our Lord. Christ has already fulfilled the law. He's already crushed Satan's head. How will he not freely give us all things? Now, we're still in this world. We still sin. We still have pain and all the things that go with the sin. But he's already done all these things. How, why would, not that we diminish it and say, oh, well, let's go sin more that grace may abound. God forbid. That's not what I'm saying at all, and you know that. But why are we so overwhelmed with what we are and what we commit and what the heart that it comes from and, and not consumed with our victor, not consumed with our captain of our salvation? Let's put these things away. He's already dealt with the law. He's already conquered Satan. He's put our sin away on that cross, and but we're still in it. Why are we, why are we worried about it? I don't want to sin anymore at all. I, I wouldn't encourage anybody to. But, but if we're getting it down, we're looking to our sin, our enemy, and not our Savior. You hear me? Now, this good. I, I, want, I want this to, the Lord has to do it. I want him to apply that to, to me. When I'm wallowing around in pity and be like, I'm covered in sin. I'm looking to my sin, and I'm not looking to the one that saved me from my sin. And I want to look to him. I ain't faithful to do that. I'll tell you good news, he is. He's faithful. He's faithful. David tells Saul about that bear and that lion. He said, a bear came. I was watching the sheep, and the lion came. Do you remember what that was? We looked at that Psalm 23. I'm the remembrancer today. Uh, remember what the Lord said about that? That great shepherd? We went and looked at this. That law was the bear. He fulfilled it. And, and Satan's that lion that goes about roaring, seeking whom he may devour. He killed that too. He conquered both. How did David do such great things? Look at verse 37. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, now the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. How'd you do all that? The Lord was with me. David said, Well, I was getting pretty good at bear fighting. <laughs> he said, The Lord did these things. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with him. What a thing. At the declaration of what God would do, his people bow. Kings bow. All will bow someday. Remember what Eli told Samuel a long time ago <laughs> when Samuel was young? Samuel told him the whole thing, the whole dream he had, what was going to happen. And it wasn't good news for Eli. And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Samuel just sat back. Leave it alone. Lord's on his throne. Child of God. Christ has put away your sin. He's defeated your accuser. He's fulfilled the law for you. Don't doubt him because of your sin or your lack of ability or your lack of faith. Believe him because of his ability and his faith. That's why. Saul tries to give David his armor and a sword. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Our God is a God of means. That's so. But he will not use our strength. He will not use our wisdom. He will not use our methods to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. It says in verse 40, 1 Samuel 17, 40. He refused Saul's armament and his weapons. But in verse 40, and he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even a script. And his sling was in his hand, 
and he drew near to the Philistine. He had a wooden staff. You get that? A shepherd's hook, a wooden staff, a sling, and five smooth stones. That's what he had. That's what he went to fight this, I mean, amazing giant with amazing armor and amazing offensive weapon. He just took a, a wooden staff, a sling, and five smooth stones. Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, his disdain, he disdained him, for he was a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. This Philistine despised his youth. Paul told Timothy, he said, let not people despise your youth, Timothy. You got the word of God. Don't care what them old folks say. You go preach to them. And that's a good thing because I thought, you know, Christ was 30 years old when he entered his public ministry. And there's a lot of my life I thought 30's old. <laughs> Up to about 29 and a half, I thought 30 was old. And you know what now? 30 ain't that old. If somebody 30 years old came up to me and started giving me life lessons, I'd tell them to hush and go beat it. I don't need to listen to what you got to say. Christ's youth was despised. Wasn't it? Just like David. David's youth was despised. David knew something. That Christ is almighty God in human flesh. And he was of a fair countenance. Well, that's opposite, isn't it? Sometimes there's types and sometimes there's anti-types. Remember us teaching that? David was a pretty boy. Handsome. Good look. He wasn't scarred up. Didn't have wrinkles. Hadn't been out in the sun too much. He was a pretty boy. And he's young. Why is that despised? It's a battlefield. I don't want a pretty boy on the battlefield. I want a man. I don't want somebody that's inexperienced. I want somebody that's got some scars on them. And they've... Got some dirt on them. <laughs> and, and this Philistine looked on this one, just as Christ is absolutely lovely and of a fair countenance to all his people. Isn't he beautiful to you? But in this body, in this world, there's nothing about him that the world loved. He was uncomely. And he despised him. Verse 43, And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog? <laughs> that thou comest to me with staves? You come to me with sticks? With wood? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, little g-gods. You reckon that scared David? Somebody put a hex on me one time. It was one of the voodoo people, and they said they was going to curse me. I laughed at them. <laughs> I wouldn't meddle in those things, but I don't, that don't bother me one lick in the world. But this Philistine, this giant, Goliath says, Am I a dog? Am I a dog? Are you calling me a dog? Are you calling me a sinner? Is that what happens? What a picture this is. It's a small picture, but what a picture. Remember that woman that come to the Lord's feet? She asked him for help. She said her daughter needed help, and she said she needed some help. And then finally she begged, didn't she? But he answered to her, he said, it's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Did she say, you call me a dog and pack her toys and go home? You mean I could be wrong? I remember one time back in 1987, I, was, I thought I was wrong, but I wouldn't. I was just mistaken. <laughs> that's all of us, isn't it? You call me a dog? That's what Goliath said. You call me? That's sin, not bowing to Christ, isn't it? You mean that's me? Mm. What did that woman say? Yeah, I'll take the crumbs off your table. I'm a dog. <laughs> I'm your dog. David was a dog, wasn't he? Goliath said, well, you think I'm a dog? And David knew he was a dead dog sinner. <laughs> The Spirit was with him. And he says, all you show up with is a staff. You come to me with staves. What's a staff? What's a wooden 
staff. I told you it's a wooden staff, right? A shepherd's staff. You come to me with a piece of wood. You see where I'm going with that? You're only going to use a cross to put me away? Well, sure, I, well, there's blood and the cross. People don't really like hearing those things. We need to talk about improving family life, don't we? And overcoming adversity. Building the youth. Let's get, a, let's get us a bunch of kids in the back and have Sunday schools and they can color and have puppet shows. And We need to staff because we're dogs. That's what's needed, isn't it? And he was a, a, just appalled at this. Verse 44, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give thy flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. You come here to me and I'll take care of you. That's a pretty good thread, isn't it? I'll put you on that pole and I'll let the birds there come and peck your flesh off until if parts start falling off then the dogs can come up and start eating the bones that's laying on the ground and we won't even bury you and we'll take your skull and chuck it over the side of the hill. And we'll call it Golgotha, the place of the skull. Remember how our Lord was taken down? Why? That was Wednesday night too. That's the threat. And, and even if Satan, when Christ was hanging on that cross, he's I got him. I got no, you don't. You might have been appalled or shocked or had deep thoughts about these things, thinking you was winning and you ain't. That's a serious threat, though, isn't it? Look at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Oh, you've rejected God, and I come in his name, Goliath. Oh, I got this wooden cross of slinging five rocks. That ain't a threat, that's a promise. <laughs> oh, this is serious. This ain't just the thoughts of some man. He comes on behalf of the Lord of hosts. That's what Christ said in John 5. He said, I come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, you'll receive him. He said, but I come in my Father's name, and you not receive me. And, and that's the thing. David had the Spirit of God with him. And he, he was the anointed of the Lord. And, and when Christ came, he is God and was preaching, and, and people didn't receive him. Came to his own, received him not, and was mocked and ridiculed. And God's preachers now, they go and they preach. And you know, it's, it's said and it's wrong. It's like, well, they, they refused the preaching of the gospel. They didn't listen to the preaching. That's not what the scriptures say. What did Stephen say? You've refused the Holy Ghost. If the Spirit's with us and we're preaching and people don't like it, they haven't just refused Kevin. They haven't refused what Kevin said. They'll blame it on that. You said this. Well, hush and listen. Maybe God said it to you. But if I've come to send a God preaching in the Holy Spirit, they're not refusing me. They're not refusing even the message. They're, they're resisting the, the Holy Ghost. They're blaspheming the Holy Ghost. And I don't get up on my high horse and say, well, I did good and they did bad. I know the outcome of that. That's terrible. That's judgment, eternal death and damnation and absence of God, him turning his back on them. I'm going to plead with them and beg with them and hear it again. Mm. Verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. And I will smite thee, and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, 
that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. He came down there not with swords and spears and all this modern weapon and modern equipment. He came with his cross. He delivers it, the message with a sling. David's doing all this alone, isn't he? I wouldn't go stand with him. <laughs> if this was physically happening, I, you know, you'll be fine. Lord, like Saul, Lord be with you. Uh, David's alone. He's treading this wine press alone. And he conquers all of our enemies by himself. What did Christ do? He tread the wine press alone. And he conquered sin and death and Satan and ourselves all by himself without anybody's help. So he gets all the glory, doesn't he? Verse 48, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh unto David, that David hasted and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. He didn't zig and zag. He didn't lollygag. And he didn't go backwards. He ran towards it. You know what I thought of? Same thing you did. Hebrews 12. <laughs> Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He boldly went towards that. What should I pray that the hour not come? For this hour is why I came to this earth, he said. Verse 49, And David put his hand in his bag, and he took thence a stone and slang it. Notice the sling. That was the action. The sling he didn't mention. It's just the stone and David and what he did with it. And slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. Everyone's drawn to those five smooth stones. I've heard a bunch of good messages on those. Uh, Todd brought that out wonderfully out of Romans 8, the five smooth stones that Paul gave us. And somebody told me, I think you're stretching the word too far. I don't think so at all. It's a gospel. <laughs> Hush bow to it instead of correcting God's preachers. Uh, and there's a lot of things. Grace is typified by the number five, right? And we can get into numerology real quick and miss Christ. And I'm grateful these things weren't numbered. These stones weren't numbered. I'm grateful they're not described. And the one... The particular one that's used isn't even told to us. There's a wealth of messages laid in that picture. But have you ever asked what the sling was? We always talk about the five smooth stones. What's the sling? You know, I never entered into that till now. Never have. That's the messengers of God. He uses them, his preachers, and all they do is just sling Christ the smitten rock. They just they just throw out there the cleft of the rock that we must be in. He aims it. We're just the thing used to send it. The rock of ages. Here he comes. And though the using of us is mentioned, this type of sling, what brand was that sling? <laughs> no matter. It's the one that's holding it, right? What happens? End of verse 49. It says, and, it sl and slang it and smote the Philistine on his forehead, and that stone sunk into his forehead. I can't make it go in people's hearts, but I can do the best I can to put it in your ears. And he fell upon his face to the earth. The truth of this word, uh, what's that mean? Who we are, 
who Christ is, the, the finished work, at, the, at that truth, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Either you're going to do it now or you're going to do it later. We'll all become prostrate before him. We'll hit our faces to the dirt down by where his feet is and we're going to bow to him at him and his truth, that he is truth, either now or when it's too late. That's called salvation. Or at judgment, that's called damnation. Verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. He didn't do it with a sword. He did it with a... By the foolishness of preaching, right? To save them that believe. Well, I wouldn't have picked that way. You're just going to come down and preach at the cross and a, and a man crucified on it and we're the ones that put him there? That's it? How are we going to grow the church? <laughs> it means the Lord saw the fit, wouldn't it? Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. I've seen a lot of men put their faith in other men. And when those men die, they're just lost little puppies. Because that's what they've been the whole time. But David used Goliath's sword to cut his head off. And that many times the, the sword is, is called a word, right? How does the Lord defeat his enemies? With their own words. The very words that come out of their mouth. He said, so said you. Judas said, is it I? Master, not Lord. Is it I, Master? He said, you just said it. You said it. I've had people tell me, you've, you've had that happen too. People tell me one thing, and like, this is how it has to be. Like, okay, so we'll do it that way. And then later on, they said, why did you do it that way? I said, you told me to do it that way. <laughs> and I, didn't, I never said that. I said it had to be the opposite way. <laughs> Wish I had it all on videotape. Used his own words. And he ran, it says there at the beginning of verse 51, to do this. He's already dead. What's the rush? Oh, there's a rush. This life's a vapor, isn't it? It says, therefore, David ran. What's the Lord tell us? He speaks in Revelation 22. And behold, I come quickly. I come quickly. For us, like we just looked at Jacob, that last enemy that we got to face. There's a whole lot of things we face in this life. We think they're mountains and they ain't even molehills and the Lord's already put away so he's fulfilled the law and he's crushed Satan's head and this is all done it's finished but we keep seeing these enemies and he said what's wrong with you why are you afraid of these uncircumcised Philistines I'll do it in the name of the Lord I'll do it for his name's sake and he conquers all these things and we see it over and over and over and over again and we get all fired up and afraid and he says fear not and then we we're taught to not be afraid and then Foolishly, like little bitty children, we get scared again. Until that last enemy comes up, and that's death. That's the grave, isn't it? He said, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And the Lord said, behold, I come quickly. This life's a vapor. Just, I mean, that fast. And we'll be picking our feet up, putting them in that bed, commanding our household, and saying, Lord, be with you. I'm going home. Aren't you thankful he runs? He runs to us. He says, I come quickly. I'm coming to my people. Isn't that sweeter? Is that a little, little more precious than lean on your faith? and Stand, don't lean on your faith 
stand in amazement and worship the object of our faith, Christ the Lord, our greater David. I hope that was a blessing to you. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, forgive us and our fretting and our fears and our unbelief. I'm thankful for our King. Oh, what a majestic Lord we have who's faithful, who protects us, provides for us, and runs to us and is with us always. Thank you for Christ, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the brethren that he shed his blood for we have on this earth, the family you've given us. We're thankful for that, Lord. We're thankful you've knit us together. Be with us now as we eat together, Lord, and make our eyes red and our teeth white. It's because of Christ that we ask these things. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.